day to you. How do you do? Would you like a cup of tea? And welcome to the Total Sucker Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who drinks coffee. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I do, except I, I could go for a cup of tea now. You want to go make some real fast before <laughs> we start of, recording? Because of the very English way I presented it. I see. Actually, I think I tend to drink more tea than you do, at least in the office. Because mm, I, I, I think true. I go Earl Grey. Oh, that's not proper tea. See, there it I'm is. I'm talking yeah. like builder's tea. Okay. Right? Proper, just black tea, milk. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Wait, but what, what's what's Earl Grey tea then? I mean, anything that's just not just called tea okay. is weird tea. Oh, my mistake. Yeah. I apologize. In my working class English opinion. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was going to say, what about mate? Yeah, that's, I mean, okay. yeah, it's not quite the <laughs> that same. Wouldn't go, that wouldn't go over too well. <laughs> if I went to, like, I don't know, like, like Sheffield in the early 90s and asked for, like, a, a mug of mate, you don't think that would go over well? Actually, it would weirdly sound like you were saying my tea. Okay, so, there we go. <laughs> is that mate? Yeah, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> be like, yeah, it is. Why are you, why are you making it weird? <laughs> and then we'd be so, in a who's on first situation. <laughs> so we are introducing England um, in a semi-comical way because uh-huh. that's kind of what we did to Australia yep. and other teams that were first in the group. Today is Group D. Mm-hmm. It's England, Boom. Scotland, Yay. Japan, Argentina. Have I got that the right way around in terms of how we're going to do this show? You do not, I believe. England, Japan, Scotland, Argentina. I, I think it's England, Scotland, uh, Argentina, Japan. There we go. Okay. <laughs> yes. Is that right? Yes, I oh. believe so. And then confusingly enough. We got there eventually. We right? did. And confusingly enough, at one point when I went back and looked, like, last, like yesterday, I guess, when I went and looked, all the other groups were arranged like in the order of the draw. And then this one was alphabetical. So I was like, I know I don't have England. This is not the way this huh. is supposed to work. I know Daryl didn't get Argentina and Japan, and I got England and Scotland. <laughs> I'm very confident that's not how that worked out. So lots of um, exciting mm-hmm. stuff to talk about today. One thing I want to mention before we get started with the, uh, the big England preview mm-hmm. is we have bemoaned in the past. The lack of uh, previews online. Mm-hmm. We're in the week of the tournament, right? The tournament kicks off this Friday. Mm-hmm. Stuff is starting to appear. There's the Guardian previews. Um, those are also available on TheEqualizer.com. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the ESPN previews. And we've discovered, um, or I've discovered, AllWhiteKit.com, mm-hmm. uh, which is an independent women's soccer blog. Really good information on there. It's quite like stat-heavy, so it's not like us. Uh, but it has great, like, you can see the lineups mm-hmm. that, or predicted lineups and stuff like that. So I recommend AllWhiteKit.com. I really enjoy it because it has the predicted lineups because, that's yeah. a, as I said, that's one of the ways I like, go about learning more about the teams is kind of trying to create my lineup before I even watch the team to then yeah. figure out how much... Before you so, watch the team, well, like kind of, yeah. the coach. Well, basically, like, I try to, like, like look at the six games, combine them into one so that I can get, like, okay, there's these three people who've played left midfield. Which of them do I think looks the oh, best? Yeah, yeah. Or, oh, no, Soccerway lied to me and that person actually played right <laughs> midfield. <laughs> then I can know for sure. Do you but do a so, little depth chart of, like, the three I, left midfielders? I have it literally in front of me right now oh, for Scotland. Yes. Uh, and also for Japan. Uh-huh. Uh, but I like that now I can compare it to the, uh, the all-white kit one to yeah, make yeah. sure that, like, oh, okay, so we disagree on this one or we agree on that one. That makes me feel better or worse. I'm Russell for it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you ready to get started with England? I am. Okay, so England. It seemed only fair that Daryl Grove gets to preview England. Yeah, thank you for. Did you make it work out this way? I I did, but then I think also you're previewing the United States. So there you go. <laughs> well, those are my two countries. Yeah. Um, England, known as the Lionesses, mm-hmm. that's their nickname. Their nickname should be the Definitely Not Vampires. <laughs> All right, because. They love crosses. they don't suck. They love crosses and they don't suck. All right. Brilliant. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You made it better. Um, so 2015 World Cup semifinalists. They are very famously. pale. <laughs> they are very pale. Um, 2015 World Cup semifinalists, uh, mostly playing like a sort of defend and counter mm-hmm. type thing. This is a better team and a more attacking team in 2019. So All they're right. going to be a lot more fun to watch even if they don't make the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Um, before I get into the star, I mentioned lots of crosses. Before we get into the star, it's worth uh, going into the, the big news mm-hmm. that happened sort of between 2015 and 2019. Coach Mark Sampson 
was fired in late 2017. Um, not entirely, but at least partly uh, because of the team culture of bullying and racism that Eni Aluko uh, famously uh, brought to light. Mm-hmm. The replacement was Phil Neville. Mm-hmm. Still feels weird, Everybody right? saw it coming. So... Phil Neville had some assistant coaching experience, I think, with United briefly under Moyes and with Valencia, I want to say, especially when Gary Neville was coach, right? Good boy. Um, No head coaching experience in the men's or women's game. Early 2018, he's named new manager or, in American terms, head coach of the England women's national team. Yeah. It felt weird. I was going to ask you about this. It still feels weird. Okay. Yet... The team's kind of done okay. Well, so, so you weren't you weren't necessarily like critical of it, but I think you had some concerns about it when Phil Neville was appointed. Yeah, where are you on that now? I mean, now, like, okay, so here's why I feel okay with it. Mm-hmm. Now is because results have been pretty good. They absolutely romped through qualifying. Um, no defeats, conceded one goal, mm-hmm. right through uh, UEFA qualifying for the World Cup. Won the She Believes Cup with Phil Neville um, in charge, despite having a couple of players missing. Well, we, um, the United States let you win it, but that's fine. Go ahead. But that's a big deal, <laughs> yeah, right? No, for no, England no. to yes. win the She Believes Cup mm-hmm. um, is is kind of a big deal. It's the first time it's ever happened. So you really can't argue with the results mm-hmm. so far, even though it made no sense at the time. I still don't understand the how he was even a candidate and how he got the job, but but here we are. I worried at the time he, that maybe he's a he was charmer. Just, he's a charmer that fell. He's not though, is he? <laughs> that's part of it. He's a nice man. He seems to be a nice guy. <laughs> That's, that's the bar. But you wouldn't call him charismatic, right? I mean, I don't know. Because like, I, I, I've never engaged with Phil Neville. Maybe he is uh, totally different than the times I've heard him do commentary, where he was not necessarily as engaging. But yeah. maybe he's got the, the tactical acumen that they were looking for. Maybe. Let's get to that. Okay. Then. So, England's style of play. You got a question? Uh, we we can come back to it. I just Well, I was going to ask, because I have not been following since the Ennio Luco saga. Yeah. Is, is she still involved in the team, or has she retired? I don't think she's officially okay. retired, but she's also like up into her thirties. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there are, there's a lot of attacking talent okay. on this team. Mm-hmm. So I think I think I don't know this for sure, but I think it may just be that she's just not one of the uh one of the best players okay. anymore. Yeah. Cool. Um I do know she just got a move to Juventus though. So All I think right. she's still doing okay. Okay. Right. And she's okay, doing then. she's really done a great service by rooting out a lot mm-hmm. of this sort of culture of racism and bullying, or at least I'm assuming it's not there now. She shone a light when it was there mm-hmm. and sort of ma- made the FA face up to it. Maybe that was what it was with Phil Neville. Was like, are you racist? And he's like, no. And they're like, okay, that's, that's a step up from where we were before. So we'll take it. <laughs> All right, let's mm. get to Phil Neville's style of play with okay. the England team. We'll get into some specific players because there are a lot of very good players. The squad is deep, mm-hmm. and Phil Neville likes to rotate. Okay. He's very much a this is the best team I can pick to play this team, mm. as opposed to here's my strongest 11 week in, week out. So like you were talking about, we're trying to figure out the strongest 11. It was kind of impossible okay. with England. Um, but he does like to play, Phil Neville, a 4-2-3-1, almost guaranteed. There's, there's some dabbling with a 4-3-3, but 4-2-3-1 is the, is the way he goes. What England like to do is possess the ball, move it quickly. A lot of really uh, quick passing from defence through midfield. Um, but then if there's like a, a direct ball on, like if there's, if there's a gap opens up, They'll play it into the channel for a striker or a winger to chase after. And, like I said, reverse vampires, because <laughs> they, <laughs> they like crosses. England get their fullbacks forward, right? So mm-hmm. it's uh, Bronze on one side and uh, Greenwood, I believe, on the other. Um, and those fullbacks are both very good at crossing the ball in. Mm-hmm. So lots and lots of crosses coming from England in a way that you don't really see that much in international football. What did they finish in 2015? 
semi-finals. I think they they might have won the third place game. All right, so so they didn't get second, which means they avoided silver, and then they won the She Believes Cup, so they got gold. So yet another way in which they're not vampires. Is <laughs> they, they make sure. To, well, I guess that would be a vampire thing to avoid silver. So maybe they get silver this time, and then they've continued the trend. There we go. It doesn't quite fit, right? But. I mean, we can find a way to make it work. <laughs> so four two three one mm-hmm. fullbacks getting high, and one of the fullbacks is one of my key players, Lucy yep. Bronze. She's maybe the best right back in the world. Um, lots of crosses. My notes in. have. I genuinely think she may become Daryl's favorite player. From watching, uh, I mm-hmm. watched a lot of games and then some individual highlights of Bronze, and yeah, I think she, I think she might be there. Yeah. Yep. Also, just on a personal note. I have like I'm familiar with the US women's national team because mm-hmm. we've covered them a fair bit over the last few years, right? We've never really gone deep on England, right? And we've never done a team by team preview of a women's world cup before. This is the most familiar I've ever been, and I really like this team. So now I really have a, another team to support at the World Cup. That does not surprise yeah. me to hear you say that. <laughs> um, so let's start from the front in sure. terms of players. So as I said, Phil Neville like, chopping and changing back and forth. It's either Jody Taylor or Ellen White will be the center forward in the 4-2-3-1. Neither of them are big. I think they're both like 5-6, five, 5-7. Five, they're not like Abby Wambach 5-11 mm-hmm. players that you can really aim a ball in and they're guaranteed to win a header. But through a mix, I think, of uh, positioning and maybe just determination, mm-hmm. they, they tend to be on the end of crosses and maybe through quality crosses um, as well. So they, they're like Tom Cruise vampires as opposed to yeah. Nos- Nosferatu vampires? <laughs> yes. Cool, got it. Interview right. with the Jody Taylor okay. and Ellen White. Um, so, and then out wide of them, again, a lot to choose from my favorite pairing is Nikita Paris on the Mm -hmm. right and Tony Duggan um, who's right footed but on the left and what you'll see a lot is either them getting crosses in or more likely they tend to squeeze into the middle so you've almost got like three forwards in the box and then again the fullbacks are crossing in and you've got three targets mm-hmm. at least, right? So that's sort of the um, attacking plan for England. Tony Duggan and Nikita Paris out wide slash like coming inside to overload yeah. makes a lot of sense and would definitely have some teams feeling mm-hmm. a little bit nervous. It for could sure. Al- could also be uh, Beth Mead. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Jodie Taylor or Ellen White, I honestly don't know right. who it's going to be to start. But they both, they've both been really impressive uh, when I've seen them play. Um, Frank Kirby will be the number 10 underneath the striker. You'd think she'd be one of my key players, but she's not because England don't really play through her in the way that gets the best out of a number 10. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what is, what is her job then? Well, her job is still to like, you know, be um, – so she's like a dribbly sort of, uh, you know, uh, get the ball, can run at people, can pick out some key passes, kind of classic playmaker mm-hmm. style player. But instead of like everything going through her and relying on her to create, she's just part of the ball movement. Okay. She's part of pinging those passes around and eventually getting it out wide. This makes sense. Yeah. And then the good thing is when the cross comes in – if it pops loose and there's a bit of a scramble, she's got the sort of calm and the class to bring it down, put her foot on it, start the possession cycling again, right? Mm-hmm. So I think doesn't get the best out of her, but she's still very useful to the team in a different kind of way than your classic number 10. Mm-hmm. Fair? May I ask a very important question at this point? Yeah. Did you wear your three Lions shirt specifically to preview England? Because I've only just noticed that now. Of course I did. Oh, my goodness. I'm surprised you didn't remark upon it when I walked through the door. Uh, I didn't notice it until now, but you know what made me notice it? What's that? The weird third lion. Oh, the tiny third <laughs> lion at the bottom. <laughs> just crammed in there. Yeah. They started the right happy birthday and they ran out of room. <laughs> It is, but the England logo was designed by Dimitri uh, Martin. <laughs> it was. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry, back to England. <laughs> so back to England. I'm essentially walking backwards through the, mm-hmm. the team here. I think the defensive midfielders, um, it's going to be Jill Scott, who I think will stand out. Number eight, Jill Scott. 
She'll stand out because she's very tall. Mm-hmm. She's 5'11 and kind of skinny, so you would call her like lanky um, in central midfield. She stands out because she's really, really tall. They're not vampires. They're mm-hmm. reverse vampires. Definitely not vampires, which okay. I guess is what a vampire would say. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> now um, please invite me in. So the obvi- Yeah, right? The obvious thing is uh, she's going to win a lot of headers, mm-hmm. and she does win a lot of headers in midfield, but... Good touch for a big woman because <laughs> she is a very elegant player. Uh-huh. Some really nice passing. Part of that quick possession is Jill Scott. And then some clever little through balls as well. So keep an eye um, on Jill Scott. Next to her, I think, again, don't know, mm-hmm. it's going to be Jade Moore, who's more of a defensive midfielder, like, you know, bite your legs off, tackle you, win the ball uh, kind of player. So that's the pairing. Um, <laughs> if you put me out a quick sidetrack, it would have been Jordan Nubbs. Have you heard of Jordan Nubbs? Mm-mm. So she was probably England's best midfielder. She was in the sort of, um, in my opinion, in the Amandine Henri, uh, maybe uh, Lena, uh, who's the German midfielder that oh, I really Jennifer like? Uh No, the defensive midfielder. I've forgotten her name. Oh, then. Alexander Pop. No, m- m- defensive midfielder. Oh, yeah, you, uh, that's right. I forget her name. Yes. Oh, okay. But you know who I mean. Yes. Number 20. You, um, uh, she's in the show notes for that one. Yes. So she was more in that mold, like energy all over the place, everywhere, really, really um, exciting. Tore her ACL in February. I think she'll be a huge miss for this England team because she was a really important player. But here's why I wanted to bring it up. She noticed that she tore her ACL on the same day her menstrual cycle started. She started menstruating. And so uh, apparently there's a lot of a lot this happens a lot to uh, to female players and there's no real research about it. So right now Jordan Nubbs, instead of being in the England team, is leading the charge for sort of woman specific um sports science because basically for a lot apparently what happens is a lot of the sports science is just based on men and then you just assume it's the same for Mm -hmm. a woman um so she's sort of leading this little campaign into uh like having sports science that's more specific to women Mm -hmm. so i think that's a really interesting it's one of those weird inequalities that you don't even think about but just happens to exist in women's soccer i i don't think about it except for like the few times we talk about it sort of because this reminds me of our conversations in the last World Cup about um, Amy Rodriguez and how she said she yes. came back stronger after childbirth and there's a theory of like floating stem cells yes. and how they can like kind of repair injuries. injuries and yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's it. That's really interesting. Yeah. That's a, f- that's a field they should probably look into. Uh-huh. I have no science to like explain any of it but I think that's kind of the point, right? So Jordan Nobbs is saying let's, let's maybe do some science. I can also comfortably say that that's the first time we've ever mentioned menstruation on the Total Soccer Show. Yes. So uh, an- another first for us today. Yep. Mm-hmm. Check it off the list yeah um all right final sort of non-key player i want to quickly mention i know this is a lot of england talk i'm mm-hmm. just very excited i was kind of prepared for it you were that's mm-hmm. great so I've, t- I've taken your time budget away from argentina <laughs> yeah, that is fair and will work <laughs> captain center back steph houghton classic dependable rock of a center center half wins tackles wins headers um makes some line breaking passes like pretty good at like you know zipping that ball around and uh, breaking some lines also occasionally gets caught out making line-breaking passes. I've seen her try one, it get intercepted, and she has to like scramble back. And uh, mm-hmm. Actually, England conceded a penalty, one of them, uh, against, uh, against Brazil in the She Believes Cup. Here's where, here's where I get n- nervous about Daryl's nerdiness, is some of the words you're saying now, I can't even tell if you're like trying to insert little puns in there. Like Just then, when you said sometimes she makes li- line-breaking class- passes, yeah. but then they sometimes don't work, I swear for the second one you said lion-breaking, and I was like, no. is, that, is that a joke? Is that what you're doing? Do they I, break the lionesses? Is that I, what you're doing? I think that's just my West Midlands uh-huh. accent, uh, right. the weird wobbly vowels that I have. I'm watching you. You're watching I'm watching you. <laughs> like Robert De Niro. That, yes. <laughs> okay, you ready to talk key players? I am. All right, first key player. I've been ready to talk, talk about Lucy Bronze for about eight hours now. So first yes. key player yes. is Lucy Bronze. Let's she's going to wear number two. She's most likely going to play right back. Mm-hmm. I said she's been talked about as the best right back in the world. 
I can't say that definitively because, you know, we're, we're doing our research and a lot of these players were seen for the first time, mm-hmm. right? So I haven't seen all the right backs in the world, but she plays for Leon. There it is. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. It does, Do you right? start for Leon? And then you're probably, you're probably the best probably in your the position. Probably the best in your position, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So she is quick. Mm-hmm. Lucy Bronze is really quick. She is strong. She is fiercely competitive, like in a sort of you're not going past me ever yeah. uh, kind of way. But then, aside from the defensive side, so it's really hard to go past her, she loves to drive up the line with the ball. And not look too concerned when doing it. Did you yeah. see that one? I think it maybe was against Barcelona when she she wins the ball back in midfield and then she has two midfielders in front of her and she just dribbles through, like splits both of them. But never, you can see her looking for the pass the whole time. Like is so not concerned about either of the people who are harassing her because she backs herself to get through and does and then completes the pass. Yes. Yeah, she oh. real good. She hits, She also hits a beautiful crossfield pass. So she can start driving up at right back, mm-hmm. you know, like really charging forward, going past people, but then suddenly switch the field of play. Mm-hmm. Like as people get drawn over to her, then it will go the other side, and the, the opposition's like, "Ah, what did Lucy Bronze do?" Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, if she gets to the end line, she can combine with the right winger. England do a lot of overloads. That like right back will join the right winger, or the right winger goes inside. Takes Nikita Paris. Um, Lucy Bronze can hit a cross. Mm-hmm. Lucy Bronze can hit a very accurate cross. She can drive it. She can bend it. She's really dangerous crossing the ball. So um, look out for Lucy Bronze at right back. Two things I would add there. Um, one, I, I noticed that she seems very, very good in the air, which yeah. stood out to me because I don't think that she's particularly tall. I don't think she's particularly short either. Yeah. But what I was noticing is that I think it's because with Leon, they're so on the front foot all the time that she's always moving to meet that throw. You don't see her necessarily backing off a whole lot. So yeah. I hope that continues with England. I mean, it's a pretty attacking team and it's like fullbacks get forward kind of team. So it suits Lucy bronze i think there we are and then the other thing that i really enjoyed was how smart she was with her positioning and a big part of that is why she's able to win so many headers Mm -hmm. but there was one sequence i saw when like the ball goes into the channel i think she was committed forward for a set piece so she's kind of running back centrally wendy renard has gone wide to cover for her wendy renard the center back for not fair that they're on the same team it's really not but what i noticed was there was uh, another attacker i think it was against wolfsburg maybe came running in and lucy bronze did the very smart thing of made the covering run to kind of fill in for Wendy Renard at center back, but then continues that run and legally, but definitely illegally at the same time, completely blocks off that attacker so they can't get anywhere near, near Wendy Renard and ends up kind of barging into bronze. They both fall over. The attacker's really mad. And you can see her do that like, oh, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to get into position. But she clearly stepped in front to kind of eliminate that one option. Yeah. And just that kind of awareness and physicality that she's going to bring also made me, me very excited. And then combine that with how much she likes to run, how much she charges and breaks up plays and makes plays happen. Those are all reasons why I genuinely wrote she may become Daryl's favorite English player. I, th- I think we're there. I think we're already <laughs> there. She also has a Portuguese heritage, mm-hmm. um, so she's a good argument against Brexit. Okay. There we go. <laughs> so there's that as well. <laughs> Another perfect thing. One final thing to note on Lucy Bronze. Yeah. Phil Neville has played her in midfield a few times. And I, in my head, I haven't seen this written or I don't know this for a fact. It may have been an attempt to replace Jordan Nobbs, who would have been such a key player. I think maybe Lucy Bronze would brings that energy to midfield but to me it's not worth taking out of a preferred right back slot especially if you're gonna you know attack down the wings as England do I I heard that the queen is all about you know being chivalrous and she felt like it was unfair to have Lucy Bronze in defense because it made it kind of unfair for the rest of the teams they were playing so Phil Neville had to play or play forward yeah yeah (laughs) Phil Neville was summoned for an audience you're monarch yes I do think that (laughs) sir Maybe not. Uh, Maybe not. She's got other visits to worry about. I suppose. Um, I suppose that's true. My (laughs) other key player is Uh 
The aforementioned Nikita Paris. Yes. Uh, Nikita Paris just left Manchester City after scoring a bunch of goals um, in the Women's Super League in England, uh, winning the treble with them. Mm-hmm. You know where she's gone? I'm going to guess Leon. Leon. There we go. Yes. So she's kind of a forward. I think she sometimes plays forward for Man City. She mostly plays right wing uh, for England. I like it because I think she always makes the correct decision. So she can run at people, really capable of going past people. But I've also seen her run at people in a th- like a threatening, like, I'm going to go past you kind of way. But then she's slipping balls in behind for Jodie Taylor or Ellen White or, or Square to, to Frank Kirby. Mm-hmm. I also like her because I don't know if this is a Man City thing, but as, she's got a great cross on her. So she's another crosser. She also gets to the end line and cuts it back. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I know that's a Guardiola thing at Man City. I'm going to assume that somehow the women's team also do that because she often gets to the end line and squares it or mm-hmm. cuts it back, which, as you know, is one of my favorite things. I do know that. Do you know <laughs> how she cuts it back? Don't know how she cuts it back. With the outside of her right foot. She uses that outside of the right <laughs> foot so many, many times. Uh, she plays through balls with it. She yep. scores goals with it. But she's the very one, right-footed, right? Yes. Yeah. The one that stood out to me, and not in a negative way, is that a lot of times if she is kind of like, like has made a run to sort of back against the, the defenders and the ball is being played into her feet, she loves a like faint one way and then in the same motion cut back with the outside of the right foot yeah, yeah. and like kind of spin a little bit. And it seems to work about 75% percent of the time that's not it's, bad. no it's a pretty it's a good success it's a pretty bit a bit of a clever technique from her and then yeah. the pace on the pace on the pace i saw she her also breaking quick. some lines for sure yes absolutely and like not a load of step overs and fancy tricks more just the, like you were talking about like mm. quick changes of direction which is devastating when you're a fullback because you want to know which way the attacker is going you do you also mentioned to me off air though that you maybe weren't as impressed with the as i was so i'm interested in what in any flaws you saw in nikita paris this may be because uh i had just been researching japan and i know how japan are going to play uh but i felt like when she came under pressure or sort of was in a slightly isolated situation, I didn't think that uh, Nikita Paris's passing was necessarily as sharp as it needs mm. to be. That it felt like there were a lot of... She was so focused on receiving the ball in traffic and then laying it off that she was so focused on the in-traffic part that when she went to lay off, the player had already run by or wasn't there. And I saw a lot of missed connections that made me slightly concerned. Okay, so... England women's players should check Craigslist afterwards. Yes, maybe. But, and then also, uh, she'll play one season at Lyon, and I'm sure that will sharpen her up a little bit. That I'm a bit I'm little worried about going to Lyon because, um, what was her name? Delphine uh, Cascarino. Delphine Cascarino is the right winger there, yeah, right? She's so, pretty decent. Maybe Nikita Paris backs herself. One final thing I like about it, she's going to wear number seven, by the way, if you're looking for it on the England team. Um, one thing she does that I really like is when she crosses, um, after the ball goes in, she follows up. So you mm-hmm. quite often see her cross for, say, Jodie Taylor, um, and then maybe Jodie Taylor has a shot that's saved, but then Nikita Paris crashes at the near post, and she's there for the rebound. She gets a lots of goals on rebounds from her own original cross. Right. Yeah, or even like say from a bronze, a Lucy Bronze cross. Uh, but then she'll she'll still come inside and crash that near post. Lots of opportunities there. Um, before we move on, worth mentioning for England, um, it's not all Lucy Bronze. On the other side, there is uh, Greenwood, who I talked mm-hmm. about the uh, the left back. She's sort of like a. A less cultured Lucy Bronze, maybe? Like, she charges forward, dribbles at people, gets crosses in. Really nice cross with the ball, but a little looser with the ball. In an exciting way, but in a sometimes lose the ball kind of way. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Anything else on England? um, No, I think I said... An awful lot, right? <laughs> we um, we also often just mentioned the uh, the domestic league. Yeah. So the FA Women's Super League, which again, sort of like the Premier League, mm-hmm. is a very uh, aggressive title. It's the Women's Soccer League, but sure, it's the Women's Super League, the mm-hmm. WSL, um, has eleven teams and second tier 
the championship and in England so obviously Man City won the treble this past year as Pep Guardiola made sure everybody mm-hmm. knew um, Manchester United won the second tier we just found this out before recording right so even Man United now are putting money into the women's side of the game so I think it's it's all looking good for England because there's essentially money from the big teams and they can afford to divert a lot of that money to well-funded uh, women's teams that'll be exciting because it'll be nice to have uh, one Manchester United team that can maybe compete in the top flight <laughs> should be good should be a good time next year <laughs> Uh, so I guess that is England. We'll get to talking about uh, the better team from uh, Britain oh, in just forgot. a moment. There's a rivalry to open the group, There right? sure is. Yes. Uh, but first, the oldest rivalry in football, no less. Yes, this is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, we'll talk about today's sponsor. I had no joke. Uh, we're going to talk about SeatGeek, uh, our old friends over at SeatGeek. The ticket industry has not changed in a long time. There are a bunch of big companies who've been around forever but don't really care about making the experience easier for the customer. That is not the case with SeatGeek. They care about you. They want your life to be good. That's why they make <laughs> buying and selling tickets that much easier. So with just a few taps on your phone, you can buy a ticket via SeatGeek. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll, you'll know that it's a guaranteed ticket. We talk about this a lot. Right, it's not it's not a ticket you need to worry about. A SeatGeek ticket is always a legit ticket to get to um, an event. Mm-hmm. But what type of event might people be going to using SeatGeek? Taylor? I mean, sports events, concerts, comedy festivals, uh-huh. comedy shows, theater, whatever you want. But I juggling. I'm a little bit concerned. There's no juggling. That's one of their rules. <laughs> it's the one thing not on SeatGeek yes, is juggling. Exactly. Okay, I like it. <laughs> um, Approve. It's up there with the SNL sketch about <laughs> so you're willing to date a magician. Yeah. Uh, uh, I also think the Seeky Gap might be learning a little bit because one of the first things that was recommended to me was the MLS All-Star Game. Oh, uh, interesting. Wednesday, July 31st. Do you remember who they're playing? Tell it we're going to try and get media passes instead. But okay. still, <laughs> who are they playing? Atletico Madrid. Oh, yes, I knew this. I knew Potentially this. with Kieran Trippier there is the headline that I saw today. That's a club playing he's linked with. I, mean, I think he's linked with a bunch of clubs. It, I think they're starting his agent is maybe leaking some things about how lots of clubs are interested. Maybe I Tottenham see. should lock him up. Uh-huh. But if you're not going to apply for, for credentials, but you would like to see that uh, uh, MLS All-Star Game, then there are already tickets available. There are also tickets available to, say, the Gold Cup games that are coming up, as well as uh, the U.S. men's uh, pre-Gold Cup warm-up games against Jamaica and Venezuela. Yep. All of those games have tickets available on SeatGeek. So uh, the Jamaica game mm-hmm. is, what, this Wednesday evening um, in D.C.? I believe that is correct. Yeah, so uh, check on SeatGeek if you want to get tickets to that game. You should do that. You should do it soon, in fact, since, again, that game is Wednesday. <laughs> Not far away. What if you like the ticket price, but you're thinking, I would rather pay $10 less than that? Well, then you can use our pro- code uh, T. SS for $10 off your first purchase. You can use that for concert tickets, uh, sports, comedy, whatever you want. Except juggling. Except juggling. <laughs> Never juggling. So SeatGeek supports us. Never so, juggling. Uh, so you should support them, especially if you're going to an event anyway and want to get $10 mm-hmm. off. Uh, once again, the promo code is TSS for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All right. Thank you very much to SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode. On with the group preview, moving to Scotland. Scotland? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Let's not be doing this. Uh, don't worry, I won't. Uh, their nickname, <laughs> I am not sure that they have one. Uh, the women's team, as far as I could tell, does not seem to have a nickname. Uh, when I went to, eat to even like their U20 team, the nickname like like page was just a blank. Uh, the hmm. men are the Tartan Terriers, I believe. So maybe the women have that one too. That has been the case with a few of the teams we've discussed. Yeah. But instead, I'm calling them the Dominoes. The Dominoes? Mm-hmm. Uh, because Do they like pizza? Uh, well, because they work very hard. And once uh-huh. they get going, 
uh, they're very difficult to stop. But it's also the case that you kind of have to figure out where you want them to go, in what order they should go, and put them in place. And then everything kind of falls in line. Uh, because so you're talking about dominoes that you push over and then they all yes, collapse, right? Yes, yeah. not dominoes. Not pizza. actually playing dominoes. No, that, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not talking about a terrible team. <laughs> then it would be dominoes. Um, you know, and so I guess what I'm getting at with that sort of rambling nickname no, is that you. there's basically – two main players for Scotland that you kind of need to know about when it comes to the attack, and I don't necessarily know exactly where they're going to fit. I have a very good idea, but those players would be Kim Little and Aaron Cuthbert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron because Cuthbert, they're kind of similar? Like they're both creative attacking midfielders? Sort of, except that Aaron Cuthbert can also play as a striker. So, oh, okay. so she could play as a striker, she could play as a central attacking midfielder, she could even play like maybe a little bit deeper, maybe out wide. Kim Little can play deeper, can play as a more attacking midfielder. I think they're probably going to end up going with a like four four one one, I think with Kim Little as one of the two central midfielders and okay. Aaron Cuthbert as the kind of creative central midfielder, because that really like those are their far and away best players in my opinion at least. And so I think you want to be able to get them as involved in sort of building out of the back and establishing possession as much as you can. So having Aaron Cuthbert all the way up the field might not necessarily allow for that. So that would Got be it. my guess as to where they are. So once you kind of put those two into place, everyone else kind of falls in the line. And if Kim Little's just uh, straight up central midfielder, yeah. she's just receiving the ball off the center back sometimes, and you've mm-hmm. got Kim Little on the ball, which is not a good thing for opponents. It is not. Uh, <laughs> it was not a thing that uh, opponents had to worry about at the 2017 Euros. Uh, they were th- Scotland was third in the group, failed to advance. They got hammered by England 6-0. Uh, after that came... Six? I thought it was three. Six. Uh, uh, yeah, it Ooh. was six. It was not. It was not the best game for them. Um, but it's worth noting there: Kim Little, uh, Lizzie Arnaud, or Arnott, probably uh, Emma Mitchell, Jennifer Beatty, and uh, Jane Ross were all injured for either all or part of that tournament. At least two, maybe three of those. Three of those will be starting for Scotland this time around. So okay. you look at them. Uh, their new coach came in, and it feels like their squad has gotten a little bit better. And the best way I can explain that is I looked back at their roster, even what two years ago now, and and where these players were playing, it was a lot of random Scottish teams. Not like like right now there's still a lot of like Glasgow City are the is like the big one. They have five players, huh. I think, on the current roster. But it was much more is there spread no Rangers out. Celtic that's just Glasgow City. Uh, there is not Celtic, I believe, have announced that they're gonna start funding a women's team. I think Rangers have plans to do the same. I think Celtic are a little bit ahead there. This would be three Glasgow as teams. Is tradition. Yes. Interesting. Um, but then also like I think at the time in twenty seventeen you had a, like a scattering of Scandinavian teams, you had a scattering of European teams, none of whom like you didn't see the Lyon, Barcelona, Juventus yeah. uh, for the women's side. You saw more of like – there was like a random one in Italy, not even like – there's one in Fiorentina now. But it wasn't even like of that level. I so I look at it two years later and just that all of these players are playing uh, either – generally either in like, like for Glasgow City or they're playing in the uh, English League. Yeah, and that's, plays for Arsenal, I believe. Correct. Yeah, yeah and, and uh, I think three players play for Man City who won the title, as, oh. as you noted already. Uh, so yeah, you've got um, a lot of talent spread out. Uh, Jennifer Beattie, Carolyn Weir, and Claire Emsley, uh, two of them expected to be heavily involved in defense, playing for Manchester City. So you can see the kind of progression uh, with Scotland. Um, and that's mainly due to uh, manager Shelley Kerr. She took over after the Euros. She guided them to their first World Cup appearance ever. That would be this one. Um, yeah, it's huge for Scotland, right? Huge it, for Scottish women's soccer. It definitely is. Uh, but I think 
I am very excited about Scotland. I don't know how entertaining they will be is the best way I can explain it because, as I said, uh, it seems like they're going to be a 4-4-1-1. They've got Aaron Cuthbert, who's incredibly exciting, can score goals. They've got Kim Little, who's incredibly exciting, can score goals. Outside of that, they kind of struggle. Jane Ross will probably be the one who starts up top. Um, I would agree with the all-white kit preview, which said that um, like she's not necessarily great at creating on her own. I've watched their game against Canada, their recent game against Canada. She looked very isolated and kind of unsure of what to do when she didn't have numbers around her. And what I saw was Scotland really working on building out of the back. As you mentioned, Kim Little dropping in. There was a lot of that to combine. And then you kind of had balls into the channels from there. And there was a much more kind of coherent attack. But it didn't necessarily lead to a lot. And as the game went on, you could see much more of a just get to the channels and individuals will run and see what happens there. So I don't feel like there's as much of a cohesive unit necessarily heading into this tournament. So I think that they've got a decent chance to advance. I think they'll probably beat Argentina. But I think that so game looking at third place, I right? think their game against Japan is going to mm. be interesting in that like it will help determine who goes through obviously but it might be one of the least aesthetically pleasing games to watch because <laughs> Japan are at times very fun to watch at times kind of rough to watch Scotland the same and I think with a knockout round like game on the line it may kind of deviate towards a little bit of the ugliness. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. So before we get into the mm-hmm. key players, which is, I assume, where we're going yeah. next, I do just want to talk about that England-Scotland game. Sure. Because there is a history, at least on the men's side, of form and like who has the best players mm-hmm. kind of not mattering. Yeah. It's one of those like form goes out the window type derbies. Mm-hmm. At least for the first 20 minutes or so, I imagine it's going to be fierce. Yes, yeah. I think it will, and I think it's- in a good way, not in a nasty way. It's kind of a weirdly friendly but passionate rivalry. Yes, uh, so uh, there's always great, great games. So I'm mm-hmm. really excited for this this England Scotland game to uh, open Group D. My guess would be that that's going to be a lot of English attacks crashing on the Scottish defence. Yeah, there'll be some brave Scottish defending for 20 minutes. But I think there's... Or longer. And yes, I think for longer than that would be my guess because, or hopefully, uh, because that is a strength for Scotland. Uh, They're going to be defensively solid. They're anchored by veterans. uh, Rachel Corsi, their 29-year-old captain. Rachel Corsi's been around, right? Yeah, plays for Utah Royals. 109 appearances, yes, has been there for a bit. What what position does she play? Uh, She's a centre-back. And then Jennifer... Oh, so she'll be facing those crosses Mm -hmm. that England... It could be Corsi just heading loads of crosses away, It'll be Corsi and Beattie, who's the one I mentioned previously, (gasps) played for Man City. uh, Center back for Man City. Oh, no, I'm uh, 129 appearances for Scotland. So yeah. you've got two very veteran presences there as your center backs. Yeah. Uh, oh, 129 n- appearances. Think how many uh, defensive headers that includes. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> and combine them, it's it's 238 appearances for yeah, Scotland yeah. between those two. 10,000 clearances. Yeah, and Nicola uh, Doherty. Doherty? I, I never know how to do that one when it comes to Scotland. Uh, the left back is, is a veteran, a regular. I think she'll be in there too. She'll be like helping to kind of, I think, weather that storm. Mm-hmm. And then, as I've already said, I think then you're looking at Kim Little and Aaron Cuthbert maybe to try to play. Maybe Kim Little playing in Aaron Cuthbert on the break and then Aaron Cuthbert trying to find Jane Ross for a goal or two. Okay. That's probably going to be the way Scotland go, at least against England. So let's talk about those two players yeah, that I just mentioned. Because these, these are great players. Yes, let's start with Kim Little. Okay. Uh, 28-year-old vice captain uh, for Arsenal, uh, vice captain for Scotland. Uh, 53 goals, 133 appearances. Daryl Grove, she's one that you've you mentioned like long ago about Kim Little playing for Scotland. I, I just remember her being like the best player in the NDB. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure which season it was, mm-hmm. but she was just incredible. I remember yep. seeing footage of her and she was just impossible to take the ball off of. Yep. I remember like 
footage of someone chasing after her and just turning in like a circle and mm-hmm. then dribbling away. Yeah, like that kind that kind of player, that impossible to take the ball off kind of player yeah. who you just know is next level. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. So maybe the only way to deal with her is to injure her because that sort of has been a little bit of her story. Yeah. Tore her ACL prior to the 2017 Euros. Uh, broke her ankle this past October. There was a little bit of concern about whether or not she would be able to play, but here she is. Yeah. Uh, she is back playing, right? This isn't mm-hmm. like a last minute injury added no. to the roster. I believe she played at least against Jamaica and, uh, and, and, and I that. think closed out the season with Arsenal. Okay, as well. oh, so she's good. Yeah, yeah she, she's been back. Um, and I'm guessing, even though she plays a bit more attacking for Arsenal, as I said, I think she plays in a 4 4 1 1. She'll play as one of the two central midfielders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably the best place for her because. For from, Scotland, yeah, or from, in general. Uh, for Scotland specifically, at least. Yeah. Because. It's going to be, as I said, Scotland do try to possess a little bit. They do try to build out of the back when it's possible. But I think then that's kind of relying upon the technical ability of your players to execute that game plan. Yeah. She is probably the most technical player on this team. She is the most technical player on this team, and she's the one who's probably the most comfortable on the ball under pressure. I saw her routinely evading pressure both for Arsenal and for Scotland in, in the uh, footage I saw, and just being able to hold onto the ball, not panic. And the thing that really stood out to me is that She'll absolutely play the obvious ball when it's on. If there's a long ball over the top, if there's a direct cross, she'll play that ball. That's fine. But she also will wait for a moment if like that direct ball isn't quite on, but maybe there's gonna a run on two seconds later, and she'll just hold it, and then she'll split those lines so perfectly. That's the thing that I spotted from her routinely was splitting two defenders, splitting a defender and a midfielder, playing a, playing a teammate into space. She spots these through balls better than any other player I think I've talked about so far. All right. Mm-hmm. So, do we think against mm, maybe Amadine Henry? <laughs> do we think that's not a bad comparison? I would never trash talk Amadine Henry. Do we think against England, mm-hmm. Japan, Argentina, there'll be some sort of block off Kim Little strategy? I mean, I think so, there, I, I think, think there, there should be. Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be worth like, like sort of like Liverpool did to Harry Winks, right? Yeah. Just some sort of don't let them pass the ball to Kim Little. Yes. Is it weird? I, I looked at your paper over there. Uh, Caroline Weir is the other yep. central midfielder. Mm-hmm. So I imagine it'll be more like let them give the ball to Caroline Weir. I think I think that's yeah. what they'll do. I think that's. I'm sure it's not a terrible soccer player, but she's not Lil Kim. She's not Kim. <laughs> she's not Lil Kim. Uh, and that's basically what Canada did in, in that uh, game I mentioned. Uh, they, which Canada ended up winning one 0 Scotland really struggled to create chances because once you kind of remove Kim Little from the equation, it was a lot of kick the ball long into space and hope something happens or break through our wide attackers and maybe they'll make something happen. But the game plan kind of devolves at that point. Yeah. So, yes, I think England would be wise to mark Kim Little uh, aggressively and often. Okay. Mm-hmm. If they do that, though, that still leaves chances for Aaron Cuthbert. <laughs> okay. Uh, the other one that we've already talked about, Travis and I talked about on the Top Drawer Soccer Show. Yeah. Um, I was one of the young players to watch, right? Yes. Yeah. How old is uh, she? She's 20 years old, uh, already has 30 appearances, 10 goals in that time, uh, has been playing at club level for Chelsea as a like out-and-out striker, so, but occasionally as a support striker, occasionally as a number 10, but always involved in the attack. The thing I spot- spotlighted on the Top Drawer Soccer Show that I really enjoyed was her... Uh, how much of her were you able to watch? Did you see some of her goals? Basically, Weisgat highlights, okay. inclu- which included some goals. Yeah, The late arriving volley that she seems to be very good at, yes. where there's like a ball in the air. You don't see her in the frame when the ball starts going up. But yeah, as yeah. it starts coming down, you see her come streaking into frame, hit that volley out of the air, scores goals up close, but also from distance. She so, scored against Jamaica from distance recently. There right? you go. Yeah. Yes, but I mean, also scored against Lyon in the Champions League. Chelsea did not end up advancing, but that she was uh, heavily involved in those games and kept Chelsea alive against the uh, eventual champions once again mm-hmm. is, a, is a credit to her uh, work effort and ability. And it, it is that effort that I think is so impressive because she is everywhere. She covers a lot of grounds. She'll drop even more like defensively than I've already talked about yeah. to make plays. 
But even while doing that, uh, she's able to kind of keep her mind on what's happening around her uh, because I think she finds herself in possession of the ball with lots of pressure on her and maybe not necessarily runners close to her. So I found it really impressive to watch how she'll hold the ball up and lay it off if it's on. But she can also kind of make something or create a little bit of time using skill, using footwork, or just kind of using her pace to get away from players and then play a ball. So her skill set alone, I think, will help Scotland establish a little bit more possession than they might otherwise be able to. And what I saw from Cuthbert, Aaron Cuthbert, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What I saw from Aaron Cuthbert um, is also... Just some sort of stuff that will make like Sports Center yeah. type things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a the volleys, Cruyff nutmeg, for example. Yep. All, like, You're talking about the, of, the, the rollback one. Yes. Yeah, lots of weird little skills. Pretty. Essentially, she embarrasses players occasionally, and I think that's the kind of thing that will mm-hmm. maybe maybe Sports Center is a very old way to look at it. Things that will go viral on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. That will definitely do uh-huh. that. Yes, because she murder, murdered a defender yeah. with a like no look, running out of bound nutmeg. But then, and I guess that yeah, it was almost like she did well just to keep it mm-hmm. in play. But then she kept it in play, dragged it back and then put it through a defender's legs and then got the ball the other side. I'm glad you bring that up because that's the exact type of sequence I'm talking about where it seems like, oh, okay, this ball is going out of bounds. She's just going to try to keep this keep this in play and then maybe something will happen. And then instead she actually has a whole move drawn up where she's then going to meg the player, turn around, get the ball on the other side yeah. and now she's in space and has time. Yeah. That's the type of sequence that I expect from her. Uh, and then my final glowing thing I will say about her is she does this more for Chelsea, but I would expect to see her doing it a lot for Scotland is when Chelsea come under pressure, Cuthbert does a really good job of getting mobile into the channels so that when, say, the fullback kind of makes that clearing pass, routinely what I saw her do was be there to kind of receive it with one touch and ping it up the line with the other, and she kind of was the connective tissue between okay. the defense and the attack on so those she's counters. she's not just standing in the middle waiting no. for the ball. Yeah. And I think if, you, if you're looking at Scotland, who are probably going to sit back a little bit against England and then try to play on the counter, she will be wildly important to the effectiveness of that counterattack. Oh, all right. So, mm-hmm. Aaron Cuthbert to break the internet. Yes. I, <laughs> yes. I think that's exactly how you should say it, and that's exactly what I'm expecting her to do. So, uh, what else on Scotland? Anything else to say? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think I made fun of you for going very long that's in fine. England. Okay. Argentina's come in. So. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll say, I think, yeah, true. I think uh, Lee Alexander will start in goal. I was kind of uncertain about that. The Scotland are one of those teams where uh, I watched them play three games. They had three different goalkeepers, uh, but my guess would be uh, Lee Alexander. Uh, Claire Emsley is one who I wasn't quite as familiar with. She can play wide left. She can play wide right. Uh, and she, I believe, has just signed for Orlando City. I don't think she's made any appearances yet, so I'm assuming that happens after the tournament. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, but I'm excited just because the more I learn about like the talent that seems to just be kind of arriving at Orlando, the more I maybe want to watch them a bit more. Mm. She's another one to Orlando add to Pride, that equation. Right? Yes, yeah, Mark's exactly. already there, right? Yes. Amongst others. They've got yeah. some talent. Alex Morgan's still hanging out there, that, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and somebody else that we've already talked hanging about who I forget. Goal. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so how about Scottish domestic uh, women's soccer? Mm-hmm. Is, there a, is there a women's Scottish premiership or? Scottish Women's Premier League, founded in 2002. It's now uh, SPL 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, first division is eight teams. Second division is eight teams. Uh, and they basically play each other three times a season. Um, as I said, Glasgow City, uh, five players uh, on this roster. They've won 13 of 17 championships, 12 straight since 2007. And a lot of their key players, Lee Alexander, uh, Nicola Doherty, uh, to name a few, many others in there, uh, have been playing for that team. So they have that level of familiarity. But it's more so England where you're yeah. getting a lot of your players so nowadays. So the, the, the sort of 
Premier players mm-hmm. gravitate south of Hadrian's Wall, basically. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly, and pretty much there exclusively. Um, as, as I said, aside from uh, it's not uh, Rachel Corsi, yeah. most of the players are playing in England uh, or playing in uh, England or Scotland. So rather, they've got an ice say. dragon up there that they can exactly. They can you, break the wall you, whenever they need you to. You got it. There you go. <laughs> uh, Twelve players in England: three for City, two for United, two for Arsenal, and then one each for Birmingham, Reading, West Ham, Chelsea, and Liverpool. There we go. Mm-hmm. All right. And any, any overseas? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, uh, as I said, Rachel Corsi uh, playing for Utah. And I think maybe there's somebody playing for Fiorentina, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. but I've already forgotten. So I apologize <laughs> for that. Is that. Okay, is that all on Scotland? Yeah. I Are you ready for Argentina? It. I think I am. The reason I think Argentina were going to be fourth in this group is because I think they're going to f- finish fourth in this group. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, with all due respect, I think this is the team that's going to get beat up a lot. Yeah. This is a really tough draw for them mm-hmm. um, okay so their nickname is um, Alba Celestes yeah. which means you know blue and white because mm-hmm. that's the colours of the jerseys but it should be the difference makers in that everyone will use Argentina the to make their goal difference look yep. good yeah mm-hmm. so even history is not great right they've been to the World Cup twice before I think they've never won a game they once lost 11-0 to Germany mm-hmm. I think they're better than that now but they're still you know not a contender um, in any sense. Their most recent tournament, which I, I look back at to compare, was the Australia Cup of Nations. Mm-hmm. You know about this? It's basically yeah. like She Believes Cup, but Australia runs it. Um, it's Argentina, Australia, South Korea, New Zealand. Played three, lost three, scored zero, conceded 10, lost 5-0, 2-0, 3-0. And against Argentina, sorry, against Korea and Australia, the two best teams, um, they were 1-0 down within four minutes in both games. That's not great. Mm-mm. That's not great. No. Then again, Japan were that, down that much or more in the first like five minutes against the United States in the, in the World Cup but final. But they were in the World Cup final. Well, there's that. Yeah, which I don't think Argentina will be. I don't and need I'm, your facts here, Daryl. Honestly, I'm, your facts. I'm speaking kind of disrespectfully mm-hmm. of them. It's great that they managed to get here. They got here through the uh, continental playoff um, mm-hmm. against Panama. But it's, it's a big deal for these players that they got there. But I really think they're about to be outclassed. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with their um, defensive system. They hold their shape, like 4-3-1, just over the halfway line. Mm-hmm. But then they do this sort of really, I don't know what to call it, erratic, committed but erratic press. Mm-hmm. Where like one player will leave their mark and charge the ball and leave that player open. Mm-hmm. And like someone else will try and scramble to cover that player, but then someone else is open. So essentially this weird erratic press, which is really energetic and hardworking, it keeps leaving people open. That's not ideal. It's like they're creating a game of whack-a-mole for the other team to play. You know now, I mean? now my, my question is: Is like from what you saw, is that kind of initial pressure enough to throw off teams, or is it kind of so haphazard that if you bypass it, is the the player who's now wide open? Is it pretty obvious? Is that why they tend to get kind of and, torn apart? Yeah, and okay. then things are open. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. like everybody gets. It seems to me that everybody gets disorganized, caused by that initial mm-hmm. erratic press, and then somebody's always open. And when somebody's open. Someone has to panic to go and scramble to close that down, and then somebody else is open. And there's, again, a domino effect, mm-hmm. <laughs> a cascade effect of players being open, which is the opposite of what you want yes. at the World Cup. <laughs> I believe that's correct. I believe I've heard that before. They're also not great on set pieces. Okay. I've seen them concede a lot of goals from set pieces. There oh, was yeah, one... you, you showed me the one. It was not great. I did. So the one I showed you was um, centre-back. Oh, I've lost a name. I'm sorry. Uh, there it is. Aldana Kometi. Um, Aldana Kometi. Mm-hmm. She's marking Sam Kerr very tightly on a corner. And there's a close-up of just how focused she is. And she is, like, staring Sam Kerr in the eyes. I think it would be illegal in the NFL. Isn't it called, like, face guarding or something? What? <laughs> Isn't it called face guarding when you, a cornerback, like, gets real close to a wide receiver? And I, I think you're allowed to look at another player's face. Okay, I'm completely <laughs> now, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm confused. Anyway, anyway she's, like, locked uh-huh. in. She's locked in on Sam Kerr, yeah. his uh, committee. But as the corner comes in, Kerr just has to essentially... 
run away from it. There's a light like screen, like pick is set, but it's nothing that like a better defender wouldn't have been able to handle. Mm-hmm. Sam Kerr is like ten yards away from her by the time the ball lands on Sam Kerr's head. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the the very telling moment is when uh, what was her name again? Uh, Kometi. Yeah. She d- she does the like half jump from like five yards behind Sam Kerr as Sam Kerr goes to win that header. Yeah. That you sort of... Like coaches do on the sideline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When it's that like, oh, I should be there. Oh, shoot. I was not there. <laughs> yes. That was kind of damning to me, yeah. So yeah, they, they're going to concede on set. Mm-hmm. There are lots of other examples of them conceding on set pieces. We'd be here all day um, if I went through all of them. <laughs> um, they do have some players, though. Mm-hmm. They do have some players. Um, the striker... Solo Hame. 23, I would say. 23 players. Okay. The striker, Solo Hame, mm. is like J-A-I-M-E, is how it's spelled. I may be pronouncing it incorrectly. Um, five foot eleven. So she's in that Abby Wambach. Hame. Hame, mm-hmm. there you go. She's in that Abby Wambach, uh, Bunny Shaw, big mm-hmm. striker category. But once it's it's played up there too, if she brings it down and lays it off, then there's just never enough, essentially, technical talent in Argentina mm-hmm. to establish possession for a long time. You know what I mean? So she's like laying it out wide, but then it kind of doesn't come back to her. Yeah. Because Argentina, there's just a lot of like misplaced passes and hopeful balls forward for Jaime to sort of go after that often don't come off because she's mm-hmm. up against it on her own, right? So this is a team that's going to have a tough time maintaining possession, has a tough time attacking, and then has a tough time defending as well. Right. That's the sort of... Uh, the, the trifecta we're so looking at. So are they looking at sort of like maybe hoping to get like a point would be a successful tournament, do you think, I mean, for anything, Argentina? Yeah, anything okay. would be, anything mm-hmm. would be uh, celebrated, okay. if, that, if that makes sense. Um, key players. So in the 4-2-3-1, the number 10 is Estefania Banini, mm-hmm. uh, who plays for Levante on loan from Washington Spirit. Mm-hmm. So some NDRSL fans will have seen Benini um, in action. She, she prepared to play for a struggling national team by playing for a struggling Ooh, NWSL team. There you go. Too soon, too soon. Eh, well. She is definitely talented. Mm-hmm. I have seen her, you know, bring some balls down that like are hard to control and she kills it dead. I've seen her dribble at people. I've seen her hit some really good through passes. But I've also, in watching a lot of highlights, I've also seen a lot of things not come up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So w- what you just described there is is kind of what I have in my notes, which is that she seems like she's a better individual playmaker, that she's like better much better definitely going at a defender on her own and like trying to get past them than sort of like turning and playing a ball into space i felt like a lot of the passes i did see her play in transition weren't quite as sharp sometimes they were like where the player was standing but not necessarily where they were going yeah whereas when she was just trying to take defenders on you could tell that was a little bit more where she felt comfortable and i saw a lot of taking defenders on getting past one getting past two and mm-hmm. then she's looking up and she's about to hit that through ball and it's almost like she hasn't paid attention yep. to what's coming next, and then defender will come in from the side and take the ball yeah, off of that. It's, yeah, it's head down dribbling versus sort of like dribbling that's with the a purpose. Best way. Yeah. That's the best way to yeah. say it. Yeah. So my, my guess is you'll see a lot of moments from um, Estefania Benini. Mm-hmm. She'll wear number 10, obviously, because she's the Argentinian playmaker, um, where there's a moment of like, oh, that looked good. That was mm-hmm. a, She's a good player. She did something really good, but it ultimately won't come to anything, yes. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's going to be kind of frustrating if you're an Argentina fan and a little disappointing if you're just a fan of beautiful soccer because there'll be like a lot of almost moments, especially Mm -hmm. given who she's up against. Because I'd say Scotland are the third best team in the group, but they're still a pretty good national team. Let me ask you this then. Yeah. uh, Because I know we still need to talk about their defense, which may help answer this question. But like, so if you're a fan of like lots of goals, like if you just want to watch a game that's going to be a bunch of goals, not necessarily goals evenly distributed, but like thinking Germany, Saudi Arabia and like the 2002 World yeah. Cup sort of thing like would would Argentina be one of your contenders for maybe yeah. conceding a bunch I'll watch them if you want to see some teams watch Group D yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, especially because, okay, say England are the favourites in the group, uh-huh. which I'm going to assume they are. I'm not sure how good Japan are, but I know they're not 2011, 2015 good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a contest for third place, yep. right? Not, sorry, not necessarily a contest for third place, but a, um, a thing of if we finish in third place, then there's that ranking. If you get a bunch of third place teams, only four of the six third place teams go through. Mm-hmm. Often they, about, they have about three or four points each, right? And then it's decided on goal difference. Yeah. So there is going to be an incentive for Scotland and Japan especially to run up the score yes. on Argentina. So they, it's not as if teams will take it lightly against them. They, that's why I call them the difference Eish. makers. They, I think about that. The difference makers because they'll be where, where they will try to uh, – Scotland and Japan and maybe England will try to run up the score to make sure that if they finish in third place, they'll have the best goal difference. Mm-hmm. I, I do think England aren't necessarily going to be like three games played, three wins. But I would say England should expect to be top of the group. Um, and I think I haven't looked at like who plays whom when, but my guess is going to be that Scotland and Japan will struggle to get points off of England. They'll both try, certainly. I think then you'll see them maybe be a little bit conservative against each other because mm-hmm. they're aware that that's probably the one who is. So don't you, lose game. Exactly. And then I think they're both going to try to punish Argentina. Yes. So, yes, that's kind of my read on this group. <sighs> okay, so Estefan- mm. Estefania Benini, number mm. 10, is the player to watch, even if we think it won't come to anything. But yeah. you see a lot of half good, half, a lot of- half exciting things. Very good. Confident prediction there. Lots of promise. <laughs> to her left yeah. um, will be Florencia Bonsegundo. To her right will be Mariana Larroquette. Mm-hmm. So at least they have excellent names. John Larroquette's daughter? Team. Is it? Mariana Larroquette. Okay. It is not. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Bonsegundo, uh, the left winger, is a threat. Um, like in as much as you can be a threat on this Argentina team so she might be a player to also keep an eye she's like an also mention in the key players uh-huh. <laughs> my other key player is the left back uh-huh. number three obviously left back Eliana Stabile mm-hmm. so great name for a defender yep. Stabile I right? so. yeah um, she scored a rocket from distance in the intercontinental, con- intercontinental playoff versus Panama mm-hmm. like proper from distance top corner kind of shot plus a penalty kick which she also absolutely hammered home so one of the reasons I want to pick her out is just that she is capable of shooting from distance and that might be a thing that Argentina get tempted to try that makes sense because I mean yeah if you're chasing a game or if you feel like this free kick or this like one shooting opportunity from 30 yards out might be our only chance we better yep. maximize then you want a person who feels comfortable taking those chances yep so Eliana Stabile um, mm-hmm. I'll also um, according to All White Kit who I want to sort of uh, credit with this uh, she wins 70 plus percent of her challenges and 85 percent of her aerial duels All White Kit's got quite stat heavy so mm-hmm. it's you know pre- a pretty good site to read um, making her statistically Argentina's best defender okay right but I'm not sure what that says about the rest of the defense <laughs> There's that. There's that. Yeah. Um, okay, in terms of the Argentina domestic league, yep. Argentinian domestic mm-hmm. league. Um, I never know when it's Thai versus Tinian. I, I don't know I either. think one I is think for people is it, and one is for, like, products. Well, isn't it because in Spanish it's just Argentinos? Oh, that could be. Right? So this sort of isn't an English language mm-hmm. version of it or doesn't necessarily need to be one. That could be. Yeah. This could be. Um, so the league in Argentina mm-hmm. is not professional right now. It is scheduled. This is actually some Taylor research that you shared with me, right? It is supposed to become professional in 2020 mm-hmm. right now it's essentially regional like the thing that they refer to as the top division is actually just the Buenos Aires regional league mm-hmm. with teams from in and around the Buenos Aires uh, metro area and then Boca wins not always I think they didn't this past year but mostly yes Boca okay. wins uh, yeah so a lot of the players on this team um, are with those Argentinian sort of mm-hmm. I would call them semi-professional I know the the FA like gives some money 
but I don't think the players get paid an awful lot. Yeah, I'm going to assume yeah. it's like that sliding scale of like some clubs have maybe put a little bit of money into it and then the yeah. FA gives more. And then there are some clubs who the FA gives some money to and then there are some yeah. who are maybe semi-pro slash amateur playing at a professional league or soon to be professional league. And speaking of the Argentinian FA, you know the men are never happy with the uh-uh. Argentinian FA. They think that they don't get treated well enough. So I can only imagine yeah. what the what the women's team gets. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to guess not a lot if I were to guess. Yeah, not a lot financially. But there is going to be a professional league starting mm-hmm. in 2020. So this is kind of hopefully the last time Argentina go to a tournament and they're in trouble because maybe in the future that professional league um, – it might be a couple of tournaments from mm-hmm. now, leads to um, an improved standard of Argentinian women's soccer. That does seem to be a trend with this tournament. Maybe this is the case every single w- Women's World Cup, but uh, like because we didn't do the group-by-group group preview, I'm not as aware. But I feel like with pretty much every team, even the ones that have really struggled, or we expect to really struggle, there's still that, like, okay, but they're doing this in the league. This league is getting stronger. They're putting more money into yeah, it. Yeah. There's, like, coaching is being taken more seriously. Or there's, it just feels like... Well, there's been a push from FIFA yeah. to essentially tell FAs, hey, mm-hmm. you better get serious about the women's side of your game especially mm-hmm. the FAs that were not serious yeah. yeah so that's that's good from FIFA for doing that and mm-hmm. then if you want to get serious about maybe keeping the hair on top of your head Daryl Grove <laughs> do, do you know what you could do you could listen to today's ad read mm-hmm. <laughs> For Hims, there we go. Uh, Hims is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skincare, and sexual wellness for men. You're welcome for that, Daryl Grove. Sixty-six percent of men start to lose their hair by the age of thirty-five. Uh, I've got one more year, but I'm pretty sure I've started to lose my hair. So, <laughs> such is life. I think you're doing fine. I think you are more concerned about your hair than you need to be. I think it's just every now and then there's that one, like because I think Bill Burr has that joke about like one of the hardest things in stand-up comedy is that you only see yourself from like certain angles, yeah, and you really don't ever see yourself from 360 degrees yeah. until you're performing. Live. And there's just been a few moments, not performing live, but a few photos where I've been like, ooh, those temples are further back than they used to be, I feel like. <laughs> feel like. Well, speaking of photos, uh-huh. uh, him sent us some they before did. and after photos mm-hmm. of people who used the product. I got to say, the results are very impressive in those photos. They sure are. Yeah, I mean, and and it's you can you can see the results obviously, but you can also see that there isn't. It's not like the before and after that you might see with a weight loss thing, where it's like, okay, well, that person is clearly just shoving their stomach out as far as they can, and in the next one, they're sucking it as much as they can. <laughs> There's not as much you can do when it comes to hair loss. Yes. Uh, yeah. So you can see those photos from yourself, or if you just want to try it, you can't actually. They just sent them to us. I guess if you go to the website, they're probably. I'm pretty sure they'll yeah. have them there. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you can try it, and you can do so with the confidence of knowing that it's not snake oil, it's not gas station supplements, it's it's genuine medical yeah. solutions backed by science. Who'd be brave enough to get snake oil anyway? I mean, I'm not squeezing a snake. I think I've I think I've had snake liquor before, but Have I've never really? had snake oil. I don't know if that counts. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Don't snake, drink it. You had a snake lick you? No, that I did not have. <laughs> nice try. Nice try. <laughs> As you said, these are prescription solutions. Backed by science. I'm not even sure I've been bitten by a snake before, which I guess could be a version of a lick. But no, yes, instead they're <laughs> backed by science. Um, Forhims connects you with real doctors online, which saves you hours. It's comp- completely confidential and it's discreet. And if you'd like, listeners can get started mm-hmm. with the Hymns Complete Hair Kit for just $5 today while supplies last, last excuse mm-hmm. me, and subject to doctor's approval. See website for full details and safety information. Mm-hmm. This could cost hundreds if you went to a doctor or a pharmacy somewhere else. So instead, go to 4 slash total soccer. That's F O R H I M S dot com slash total soccer. 4 slash total soccer. Thank you very much to 4 for sponsoring today's episode. Final 
team to get to in our group. So that leaves Japan. I almost said final group to get to in our teams, and that would not have made as much <laughs> sense. It is indeed Japan. Nicknamed uh, Nadashiko Japan, which uh, apparently is the personification of an idealized Japanese woman and or the epitome of pure feminine beauty is what uh, Nadashiko, Nadashiko means, okay. which is also the name of their league. But I'm going the... That's odd because none of that refers to soccer. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to make of that one. Uh, so instead, I'm calling them the storage unit Picassos. What? Excuse me? <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. All right. So every couple of years, bear with me. Bear with Whatever me. Whatever this is, I love it. The storage unit Picassos. Yeah. Every couple of years, we get a story. Sups. What? Sup. Perfect. There we go. The subs. <laughs> um, we get the story about like, oh, this storage unit in California, they found this Picasso or they think it's a Picasso. Said, and you yeah. always have these, like you hear these every now and then, where it might be an absolutely gorgeous work of art or it might be knockoff garbage. That's pretty much what I'm going to say about this Japanese uh, national team because at times they have this incredibly like rigorous pressing system that causes chaos and confusion amongst defenses, and then they have a lot of very skillful playmakers who can score goals, and it looks like this incredibly, like, how do you stop this sort of attack? And then at other times, they look kind of disjointed and all over the place, and teams tear them apart. So... Why? Why is it not consistent? I will explain. Uh, Because... Why aren't they all Picassos all the time? (laughs) Also, what's a Picasso? Because... Okay. (laughs) That too. Uh, Because uh, their current manager is Asako Takura, a former Japanese international... uh, uh, who played in the uh, uh, first? It scored the first goal in the women's professional league in Japan. Uh, she has seventy nine caps for the national team. Um, bear with me because I'm getting to how right. why it is like this kind of dichotomy. Um, I'm with you. I'm not saying that. I'm but, with you. but she's she is particularly fascinating to me because she started. Uh, I'm not sure if she started her managerial career, but like the first time she came to national prominence, she managed uh, ja- Japan's U-17s from 2013 to 2014. They won the 2014 U-17 World Cup. Uh, then she takes over the U-20s. They finished third at the U-20 World Cup, uh, win the uh, AFC Championship uh, that year. So then she moves on to the senior team, and now she's in charge of the senior team where she has basically some remnants left over from 2011, some from 2015. Then she's brought in some of the players, some who have played at U-17 and U-20 level for her. And we should mention, I don't know if you mentioned this, so apologies if you already did, but 2011, this Japan team mm-hmm. won the World Cup, beating the United States in the yep. final. 2015, mm-hmm. they made it to the final. Did so I, say, I might have said third place. That was my mistake, if so. Yeah, they got second place in yeah. 2015. But yes. the last two World Cups, they've been in the final. They sure yeah. have. Yes, yeah. so you have remnants from both of those teams combined with these, again, some who've played for her at that U-17 tournament, like uh, uh, Hasegawa, Kobayashi, Suguta, Minamai, uh, or excuse me, Minami. My apologies. Uh, yes, so like you've got some of those players on the squad, and that's why it's really interesting to me is because you've got all these players from differing backgrounds of different like levels coming together and playing a style that I'm going to say is very aggressive. Uh, it tends to be a 4-4-2 with coordinated pressing, usually led from the front line as soon as those forwards go. You don't have the kind of gaps that you mentioned with Argentina. It tends to be a lot of players... Re- like really charging forward and making it difficult to play out, um, which is very good. But then you can kind of see the negative side to that. The the thing that most coaches who go with the pressing, pressing system really advise against is overcommitting. Yeah. And that's where Japan can kind of turn into a really physical foul, foul, foul sort of team. Mm. And that's the other thing I saw from them a lot. In their 2-2 draw against Germany, for example, you saw both of these types of approaches on display. Both of the, you talked about them uh, when you were previewing Germany, I believe, that both of the goals, 
it's not necessarily that the German goalkeeper is like absolutely forced into giving away the ball. Oh, the bad but, passes where she gives it to the Japanese but, attackers. But it yeah. is G- Germany being worked backwards because they can't find passes through because Japan are swarming and they work, go backwards and go backwards. And twice the goalkeeper gives the ball away, basically, yeah. and Japan score from it. It's two very good goals in the end for Japan, but it is that level of pressure. But then Germany are able to play their way back into it because Japan get really overly aggressive and start fouling and knocking players off the ball, and they start getting cards. And once the, the referee is wise to that, they, I think they either go overboard and you may see some second yellows, or they get a little more Ooh. cautious. And once they get a little bit more slow, a team like Germany, yes, a team like England, Sorry. who can play— very Stannis Baratheon. Good for you. Uh, but a team who can kind of play their way out of that, I think that's where they tar- start to destroy Japan a little bit more. Because once you're able to quickly pass the ball and they're not as committed to that press, yeah, yeah. then you kind of have a hard time getting that ball back for Japan. And it's much easier for the opposition to score. And that's exactly what Germany did. Germany just moved the ball really quickly, played it wide, crossed it in, got two goals doing basically just that. Okay, so this is a tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume that this Japan team is just not as good as in the past mm-hmm. because of this changeover, essentially, mm-hmm. of personnel. What you've just described, does that mean that like, England should expect to beat Japan? Uh, I mean, first, uh, my, my diplomatic answer is like you can never really expect to beat anybody at a World Cup except for Argentina in the women's game. Um, I would say they should not expect that, that it will, it will take a lot of effort, I think, because right, Japan are going to press, because they're going to run, because they have like that, that motor on them collectively. But I also think that you don't have as many... like head and shoulders above the rest of the competition attackers for Japan. And that's the other aspect of this that kind of gets complicated is that they're another team where most of their players are playing in Japan. So if we talk about the women's league for a second there, um, I think you have the top two teams in the league started in 1989. uh, Current format is 10 teams. uh, Nippon TV Beleza. Beleza? Something like that. Uh, 16 titles. <laughs> in, I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. 16 titles yeah. in 30 years. Uh, four straight titles. Nine players from this squad are, on, are, are from that squad are on the national team. The second place team in the league is INAC Kobe Leonessa. Uh, five players. So 14 of the 23 players are playing for two teams in Japan. And one of them is called Nippon TV. Does that possibly like the state broadcaster? Like the... It's, like, is it's, it's possible. I think it's they amazing. tend to go by like NTV Beleza, but yeah. yes, probably something like that. Um, so you have lots of familiarity, but it also means like for me as a person who does not watch much of the Japanese women's league, yeah. I, I, I don't necessarily know how strong their attackers are going to be. So from the games I've watched, there are times when they look very good and very mobile and very fast, and there are times when they look like they can't hit the f- target. And, and, I, and I wasn't even hesitating because like, that made me uncomfortable to say. It was just kind of the case that like, yeah. you'll see them be ruthless in front of goal, and then you'll see them miss like, clear opportunities or the not quite players? connect. Yes. Mm. And so, it's again, it's that sort of like sometimes they're going to complete a 15-pass sequence after winning the ball back in a high-pressure situation and tearing the team open and then scoring a beautiful goal. And sometimes they're going to commit a foul and not even get the ball back or if they do it sort of kind of stalls or doesn't really go anywhere or they run into a, a defense because you have also a lot of players who I think are clever and technical on the ball and so they want to dribble but then as we talked about once you get your head down you're not necessarily playing that kind of possession system so can we get into some specific players yeah, I, feel, I feel like I want to know some Japanese players let's do it right. uh, I would say the, the the first key player I wanted to talk about is uh, Sakai uh, Kamugai 28 uh, year old defender midfielder for Lyon 
She uh, <laughs> she is, I think I'm correct in saying, the only player who plays outside of uh, Japan. Wow, she uh, but, straight to the top. But she plays for Lyon, exactly. Uh, she's the captain of the national team, 104 appearances. For Lyon, she's more of a defensive midfielder. Uh, she tend, And I think like she didn't start the Champions League final, but I think she came on as a substitute. She played lots and lots of minutes for Lyon. She is, I think, a pretty regular starter for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, she plays more holding midfield for them. She's good in possession. It's a lot of keeping the ball moving. It doesn't seem to be a lot of flash, which is probably good because you don't want your center back necessarily like marauding forward with the ball. So I yeah. think she's the one who maybe if Japan win the ball back in their defensive third, she'll be the one who probably they'll have on the ball to slow things down and find the passes because I think she's a bit more confident on it than anybody else around her. So her name again is? Uh, her name again is Sakai uh, Kumagai. Kumagai, mm-hmm. and you said K-A-M-U-G-A-I. she plays K-A-M-U-G-A-I. So she plays defensive midfield for Leon, but she'll it. play centre back for Japan. Yes, Is that what's happening. Exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. and I saw clips. Right, I saw her just spraying crossfield balls really accurately mm-hmm. and a lot. It seemed like that was her main, um, her go-to pass was to just switch the field. Yes. Yeah. 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 What if she'll do that from out of the back? I mean, I. Th- think so you'll see it on yeah. occasion but i think she's also more than happy just to play like 10 and 15 yard simple passes to feet not take too many touches not yeah. risk getting caught in possession but she'll be anchoring that back line it's a veteran back line i think they kind of go defense first uh in terms of uh where they feel probably most stable that defensive unit feels pretty strong to me okay uh, ahead of them is where I had a little bit of a harder time, if I'm being totally honest, because there weren't really, in my opinion, that many players who like stood out head and shoulders above the rest of their teammates. So I think I texted you, there's like five or six players who I could see starting in like four attacking positions, yeah. but I, I genuinely am uncertain who they will be. I think I have a rough idea. I think the one that maybe is the one that people should know, it's in the Guardian profile uh, as well as other places, is uh, Kumi Yokoyama, 25-year-old forward for AC Nagano Parcero. So okay. she does not play for one of those two dominant teams. <laughs> Her name uh, is Yokoyama? Uh, Kumi Yokoyama. Yokoyama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, 40 appearances, 17 goals for Japan. So a decent rate of return there. I think she probably starts up top in a 4-4-2. That seems to be where they've started playing her. She's... A lot of these players that I'm going to talk about or may end up talking about have played like left wing, right wing, center forward, support striker as a number 10. They've kind of been a rotating (laughs) sequence there. Um, But she seems like the one who's most likely to turn and go at defenses and try to make a play happen. And she seems to be the one who draws the most fouls. So if there's a Japanese player who maybe is operating centrally or dropping in to help alleviate some pressure, get the ball, turn and go to defense, it is probably going to be Kumi Yokoyama. Uh-huh. Um, it could also be, say, uh, Emi Nakajima, who I think is maybe the vice captain, uh, but is a very veteran player for this team. Sometimes Ooh, is, that, is that a good way to predict that she actually might be one of the starters then? Yeah, She's the vice captain? Uh, well, yes, but, it's, but with her, again, it's more about where she plays plays because Mm. she is a very good wide player for Japan. She's good on the ball. She's good with her crosses. She does a really good job defensively and has played centrally for Japan, a position where they are somewhat vulnerable. So you could see her start centrally. You could see her start out wide. And similar to like what I was talking about with Kim Little and Aaron Cuthbert with Scotland, it is a little bit with Japan of like once one player slots into one spot, you can sort of tick all the other boxes and figure out who goes where. But it's a little bit of a guessing game there. So that's Emi uh, Nakajima. You should contact the coach and just ask if you can get one player ahead of time. That'd be very helpful. Tell me yeah. where one player's playing. Ex- I'll figure exactly. out the rest. Uh, another one, like <laughs> another one, who I would even like to know is she going to play at all? I think she will. Is uh, Yui Hasagawa, and that's one who I have not heard as much about. But she's one who, when I watched 
a few different J- uh, Japan games. Not even the highlights. I watched like chunks of full games because I really wanted to fully understand what Japan are doing because they were intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a 22-year-old attacker listed as a midfielder uh, according to their roster, so that maybe tells you that she'll be playing out wide. She's another one who sometimes starts up top. She plays for uh, Nippon TV, Beleza, uh, NTV, Beleza. Um, and she is – the reason why she stands out to me and why I would – not mind if she started up top. I don't think she will instead of out wide is because she seemed the best at applying pressure like from like leading from that line. Yeah. But it's it's there were times with some of the Japanese players where it felt like it was the pressure that you talked about with Argentina of I'm just going to run and put this person under pressure. Now I'm going to run and put this person under pressure. And then almost always I would see like the center back gets the ball, plays it to the left back. The Japanese player goes to pressure that person and the left back plays it back to the center back. And the Japanese player goes and pressures that one. And then it goes and like eventually you're just running back and forth. Whereas uh, Hasegawa, she seemed the most adept at cutting off angles and sort of constantly checking. You would see her looking around to see where the rest of the team was so she could adjust her angle of approach mm-hmm. and it really did cause problems especially for Germany so I would like it's not an easy thing pressing right it's, it is not you can be committed to it and enthusiastic and be willing to run people down mm-hmm. it's not the same as being good at it no it's not uh, and so I think she is very good at it that said I do not think she ends up starting up top I think it will be Yokoyama who have already mentioned and then uh, Sukasawa those will be your probably two starters up top and then uh, Nakajima who I mentioned previously on the right and I think Hasegawa on the left is what I would expect from Germany or like, from Japan not I from like Germany. your willingness to give it a go I'm trying considering <laughs> like the, the, what you, the way you described how hard it is to, to pick an 11 it's a, it's a, it's a little difficult yeah. and, but I mean uh, Hasegawa as well as I talked about earlier with the Japan uh, Japan playing against Germany and Germany giving the ball away uh, she's the one who scores the first goal against Germany when the okay. ge- the goalkeeper passes it straight to her. And like when the goalkeeper passes you the ball and you're one-on-one with a goalie, it's that always kind of increases your odds a little bit. But it's worth noting there that she's still, I think, about 30 yards from goal, and she chips the keeper. Yes, like like could, very quickly takes really this good, shot right? and chips it. Yes, yeah. and just like that sort of on-the-fly technical decision-making and then the ability to execute, again, that's why she stood out to me. It's like, mm-hmm. ooh, she pressed, she forced a mistake, she won the ball, she chipped the goalie. I would maybe start her, but I'm not sure if they will. So, yes, uh, Yui ha- uh, Hasegawa, I apologize for the butchering of that name. I'm sure that I have done. Didn't you tell me the thing with Japanese pronunciation mm-hmm. is no emphasis on any syllable? Yes, so that's why like, we would always get – exactly. Because we would always get uh, Kagawa wrong because yeah. we would hit the ga, and instead it's like Kagawa. We're pretty confident about that. Right? Which I've tried to do, but I also am not familiar enough with these players to like really feel confident even knowing their first and last names together. I see. So then I'm looking at the <laughs> like the list here and making sure that I've got the name right. So like Saki Kamugai. That, yeah. There we go. That's how I'm going to say that one. Send accurate. Yeah, but then you kind of you really quickly lean into parody, and that's what I'm trying right, to avoid yeah, as well. Yeah. So I don't want to do that either. Okay. Yeah. I feel um, I feel confident. Speaking with a fake Scottish accent, less so with a Japanese yeah. one. Mm-hmm. And once again, please send all your emails about our pronunciation too. We're trying our hardest at totalsuckershow.com. <laughs> please do. It's a special email address that we use. Um, one other, two other quick notes about Japan. We do use that email. Uh, as I mentioned, there is a little bit of vulnerability centrally in the midfield. Again, you've got like the veteran center backs uh, for mm-hmm. Japan. Ahead of them, I think it's going to be, since I think Nakajima will start on the right, I think it will be Hina Sugita and Naruma Miura. 
I think is how you pronounce that. But they're relatively young, relatively inexperienced, and neither one is particularly adept at defending from what I understand. Uh, so, so we'll see how that works. If, if that, what that might mean is maybe just Japan – collapse one of those kind of attackers back in or maybe they bring some of the wide players a bit more central and try to clog the middle a bit more can i posit a theory mm-hmm. it sounds like what you from what you're describing that the coach has some players who are really talented with the ball and some players who are maybe better at pressing yeah and maybe that's why the coach is finding it hard to yep. decide mm-hmm. do i go with the ball players or the ball winners like, yes. why can't they just both be good at mm-hmm. both <laughs> i mean that would be Ideal, I yeah. think. It, is that it just also, a theory? Or does no, that I, I think trip? that I think that checks out. But then it also, strangely, on occasion, like plays plays into what Japan are trying to do. Because as an example, one thing I saw routinely was they would work so hard to win that ball back, and once they would. Like, if I was playing a square ball to Daryl, I would play it behind because I think because they're working so hard, maybe they're not quite as, like, focused or able physically to play, like, an easy ball. Yeah, yeah. But mental beca- concentration goes yeah. down when you're tired, right? But then because they have so many players, like, bombing all over the place trying to make plays, that even if that pass didn't go to you, inevitably there was another Japanese player who was running as hard as they could who was then there to pick that ball up. So it was almost like, oh, that was wrong. Oh, but it worked out. Oh, oh that pass did work. Oh, no, but they got it back again. Like, so it was, <laughs> it was just – it kept being this weird conundrum of like really hard work and great pressing and occasionally some really good possession, but then also occasionally easily bypass pressing and then passing that didn't really go anywhere and led to turnovers and easy goals for their opponents. Oh. So it could be either one. It's, it's a little bit uh, – uh, what's it? Storage unit Picassos. There we go. The subs. <laughs> the subs. Mm-hmm. Sup, Japan. Yeah. Um, so I think, based mm-hmm. on our previews, much like Group C, Group D is really exciting. They are. Yes. Yeah. And also Argentina. Yeah, no, but Argentina, weirdly, is part of, it's not yeah. going to be good for them, but mm-hmm. they're part of the excitement. Yes. You know but, what I'm saying? Yes. But I would say for you, I would agree with that entirely, but I would say you should tell Phil Neville, uh, make England move the ball fast. I think the yeah, faster you move do. the ball... Is, I, I was really impressed with how quickly they pinged it around. Yeah. yeah, and I think that will cause huge problems for Japan because that oh, re- course, yeah. because while yeah. it, is a, it is a high-intensity press, we're not talking Liverpool, we're not talking like Man City where it's sort of almost suffocating. Because it's national team level, you can never get that level that you get at the club level. Mm-hmm. So there's still plenty of gaps and opportunities to, if you I'm, pass the ball and move fast, you're going to kind of be able to exploit that pretty quickly. Would quick you panic the She Believes Cup? It mm-hmm. was England, USA, Australia. Uh, Brazil. It was Brazil, Japan, USA, and England, I believe. Oh, Japan weren't there. Okay. Uh-uh. I was imagining an England v. Japan game that maybe did not happen. Uh, England, USA, Japan, Brazil. Yeah. No, Australia were there too, right? No, they weren't. They were at the Tournament of Nations mm-hmm. earlier on. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, England did beat Japan 3 0 mm-hmm. at the She Believes Cup. There so, you go. I think that might be um, an example of uh, how yes. that could go. And, and for, that, for that same reason, it's when I saw England ping passes around a lot. There we go. Yeah. So, if they do that again, I think they'll be okay. Yeah. Uh, but with that in mind, my final thing to say about Japan, and yeah. I did have this prediction the Scotland Japan game uh, should be good, but I think is instead going to be incredibly dull. Why because, dull? Because, as I said, if you can move the ball really, really fast, you can exploit Japan. I don't think all the Scottish players are as capable of doing that as maybe the English players. Okay. So I think... Th- Even Kim Little, you wouldn't say she's mm-hmm. a fast passer, right? Cause no. Because she she's so good at holding the ball. Mm-hmm. She likes to do it maybe and slow the game down a bit. But I also think that Scotland aren't necessarily going to gamble as much. So even if they do turn the ball over, even if it's like in a position that's theoretically good in attacking, I think they're going to keep enough numbers back that it's sort of going to nullify that initial wave of counterattack from Japan. Yeah. And then they aren't very good at creating chances. Also worth noting, Japan, this J- J- Japanese team especially, notorious for if they go down, they don't fight back. So if they, if they sc- get scored on early, 
they don't tend to kind of rally and find a way back. So I think they're not going to want to commit too much either. Scotland probably will be a little bit concerned about the press. So I think you'll end up seeing a very physical game with lots of long balls. Okay. And again, but maybe it ends up being incredibly excited and maybe it is Picasso. But maybe also it's one that you are, your eyes bleed and you're not so happy that you spent two hours watching. Maybe your kid drew it and you have to pretend it's good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. So Group mm-hmm. D, consider yourself previewed. Consider it. Groups E and F, watch out. We're coming for you next. All right. <laughs> to close out today's show, mm-hmm. um, we out. have a handful of updates from mm-hmm. the Total Soccer Show Scouting Network. Let's Brilliantly, start. we're starting with the Japanese I was going to say, let's stop talking about Japan to talk about Japan. Yeah. Todd Ito scouting Takafusa Kubo, the 17-year-old Japanese attacker for FC Tokyo. Kubo had one of the finest performances of his young career with a brace against J-League side Oita Trinita on Saturday, June 1st. He showcased some outstanding dribbling and vision, as well as strength to prevent getting knocked off the ball as easily as he has in the past. In addition... He's getting older, uh, he's getting more yeah, powerful. He turns 18 on June 4th, so happy birthday to him. Not but, yet. Not yet, that's tomorrow. Well, happy early birthday. Uh, but that birthday has led to rumors that the game against Oita Trinita will be his last for FC Tokyo. He'll be leaving for the Copa America shortly, may head to Europe after that, with Barcelona still the presumed destination because Ooh. he's 18 and he can move. Oh, so again, um, this is a 17-year-old kid mm-hmm. who's going to the Copa America in the Japan squad, and he's being linked with Barcelona. Well, Takafusa Kubo. Here's where I scratch my head. Okay. Rumors are that Kubo's agent demanded that his client have a role in the first team along with a first-team salary to match. Barcelona, not See surprisingly... the Japanese Martin Odegaard. Yes. Uh, Barcelona, not surprisingly, have reportedly balked at that demand, preferring to start him with Barcelona B before gradually easing him into the first team, likely through first team training. Yeah. Meanwhile, here's the kicker. FC Tokyo chairman uh, Naoki Ogane claims that Kubo doesn't have an agent and that he's heard nothing about any of this. So I don't know who is in, is in communication with Barcelona. It's all very confusing. There we are. It's the silly season. I do have one update for you. What you got? Because it's 7.40-something mm-hmm. Eastern US yeah. time, um, it's 8 a.m. on June 4th in Japan. All right. So happy birthday to Takafusa Kubo. So he's already future signed with Barcelona. He's already Got 18. it. <laughs> Got it. Michael Fisk mm-hmm. is scouting Andreas Christensen, the 22-year-old Danish centre-back for Chelsea. Um, Michael says, Europa League specialist Andreas Christensen was able to play the full 90 in Chelsea's 4-1 victory over Arsenal. As Paul Doyle from The Guardian put it, he looked a little uncertain at first but gained composure as the match progressed and twice made brave clearances to frustrate Obama Yang. And I th- remember that happening. And then it says that Matt Miazga should have started and would be better. <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. That's weird. That's weird. Zachary Lindquist scouting Jackson Ewell. 22-year-old American midfielder for San Jose. Ewell was selected to be part of the USMNT training camp in preparation for the Gold Cup warm-ups. He was a surprise addition after not being named to the 40-man preliminary roster. Uh, hopefully, says Zachary, Ewell can prove himself as a midfield option before moving on to play with the U23s. I think it is worth noting because he wasn't in the provisional roster, he's not eligible to be in that Gold Cup squad. Is that correct? Yeah, it's not possible yeah. to be named to that Gold Cup squad if you weren't in the 40-man provisional roster. More likely, yeah, like uh, like Zach says, he'll mm-hmm. go, like Zachary says, excuse me, he'll go and play with uh, Jason crisis you can call you 23s but i think uh, we'll talk we'll do a proper preview of the jamaica game probably tomorrow when we do the u20 review mm-hmm. as well um it seems like uh from what the way jackson has played in mls so far this season he's a contender to maybe fill in at that michael bradley will trap spot so this mm-hmm. might just be um Berhalter just getting a little look for himself for the future even if not for the goal coach. maybe a little poke right. in the ribs to will trap and michael bradley like, yeah hey, this kid this kid's coming through he's pretty good this kid's coming my through. other question in that there's like a war between, say, uh, Taylor and Tyler. There is a war, if you didn't know that. Is that. Do you think Zachary with a C and Zachary with a K are like destined to not get along? Or do you think they can cohabitate? 
I think they can cohabitate. Okay. Um, and uh, they probably are united by um, having to explain to people how their name is spelled. All right, but yeah. one is Caroline and one is Carolyn, and never the twain shall meet. <laughs> uh, Alan Bedford scouting Jonathan Lewis, 21-year-old American forward for the Colorado Rapids. Jonathan Lewis was a last-minute addition to the 28-now 29-man roster for the USMT match versus Jamaica on June 5th. Also, happy early birthday to young Mr. Lewis, who turns 22 on June 4th. So in Japan, he's already 22. There we go, but in not the here. In the US, he's still 21. So no happy birthday yet. <laughs> Nick Imhoff is scouting Emmanuel Sabi, the 21-year-old American American winger for Hobro. Let me guess. Has he saved them from relegation again? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hobro's survival was secured, says Nick. Finally. Another goal from Sabi. He dribbled the ball into the box through three defenders with some fancy footwork before muscling around a fourth and slipping the ball past the keeper. Sabi finished the campaign with nine goals and five assists in 33 appearances, all of them apparently in the relegation playoffs, mm-hmm. and despite a long... <laughs> cold spell in the middle of the season I really like the idea of Nick Imhoff being just like very practical in that every game is a relegation playoff in his <laughs> mind but I don't think it's necessarily the case uh, Tom Gaffney scouting James Sands 18 year old American defender slash midfielder for NYCFC Sands put forth another reliable defensive shift in the middle of NYCFC's back three and a 2-2 draw with the Columbus crew on Saturday the youngster continues to shift from center back to defensive midfielder depending on the formation manager uh, Dome Tarant puts forth. Tom says that Sands possesses surprising pace combined with uncanny anticipation for such a young youngster and ponders a world in which James supplants Chris Durkin as the USA's holding midfielder of the future. I think that's uh, because Durkin has looked a little bit slow at times playing for the U-20s uh, and James Sands looks the opposite of slow. Interesting. But he's playing centre-back here, right? So maybe that's the future. That could be. Yeah. That could be. It's a big deal for him to be 18 and being the centre-centre-back. It's yes. a lot of responsibility, right? I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. it is. All right. Chris Fujimoto is scouting Jonathan Amon, the 20-year-old American winger for FC Neuseland. He's not playing um, centre-back. Chris <laughs> says, Amon's good form at the end of his injury-played season saw him score twice in their final five games, culminating in a call-up to Berhalter's pre-Gold Cup camp. Amon was named in the 28-man squad, now 29 with John Lewis, for the Jamaica <laughs> friendly and has been linked with a move to Club Bruges. As you do. Yeah. As you do. Yeah, it's lovely in Bruges, right? Well, some would say that. <laughs> Colin Farrell wouldn't. <laughs> Randomly, we were talking about it. Earlier, looked, right? It looked absolutely lovely in that movie. It did, like, right? They did a very good job of making him look like a pill. I'll put it that. <laughs> I'll put it that way. It's like, oh yeah, like ni- nice medieval architecture. Yeah. You've got like canals and stuff. You've got alcoves, apparently. That's a big part of it. Yeah, you must have grown up on a farm. Uh, <laughs> thank you to everybody for today's scouting To that reports. I say, you're an inanimate object. <laughs> if you'd like to join the Scouting Network, it's totalsoccershow.com slash join, and then you support the show financially um, every month and keep Total Soccer Show in business. I'm sorry but about that bit about the inanimate object. <laughs> you, you're welcome. <laughs> All right, Taylor Rockwell. Thank you for taking the time, a lot of time, Mm -hmm. especially when you listen to my England stuff, (laughs) to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. And if you like Total Soccer Show, you're in luck this week because there's a lot of episodes coming your way. There's going to be a U20 review. Uh, tomorrow, the U twenties play yeah. uh, France tomorrow, eleven thirty a.m. Eastern. I think we have thirty-five shows still to come we this week. We have thirty-five yes. shows still to come. So we're going to be week. 
Previewing that game with Jimmy Conrad? Is that our plan? We're going to preview that game with Jimmy mm-hmm. Conrad at 10.40, mm-hmm. I think, on Jimmy's channels. He's on yep. various channels, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to do that at 10.40. The game's at 11.30. We're going to review it afterwards, and we'll preview or at least look at the roster for the U.S. men's national team mm-hmm. versus Jamaica. I'm keeping the sun out of your eyes as Thank we finish recording. Thank you very much. It is that time of day, <laughs> it is. right? It those, is. Those blinds do not work. They do not work. Unless blinds are supposed to make you blind. We need, like, Alaskan blackout blinds. That's the only solution, <laughs> I think. And then there's, what, Group, uh, group E mm-hmm. and F also to yep. come yeah, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, we're going to review the Jamaican there game it is, yes. after Wednesday we have so night. many things still to go that I couldn't remember if you had already said that or not <laughs> <laughs> and then the actual Gold Cup roster yep. comes out Thursday morning mm-hmm. I won't be here for that one but I'm told there will still be Total Soccer Show even without me inshallah yeah um, listeners thank you for listening that really is the most important part otherwise we're just two guys in a room um, <laughs> and we'll <laughs> we'll talk to you again tomorrow tomorrow